Morning, church. We should move the drum kit closer to the front. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, we should move the drum kit out of the building. I know, it's okay. Um, today we read a story about a demon-possessed boy and his poor father coming to Jesus for help. And that's, you know, that's not a super uplifting topic to read about, right? I mean, there are some folks who are fascinated by that kind of thing. But I think for most of us, thinking about demon possession is a pretty unsettling topic. And maybe that's, you know, because it's outside our normal jurisdiction. Like, over the years, I've learned how to handle a good number of problems. I can change a tire. I can, I can fix most toilet problems. I can bandage a cut. I can ice a bump on the head. And I can dry the tears that come with it. I can assemble IKEA furniture on the first or second try. But demon possession has been thus far outside of my wheelhouse. What's the point of this story for us today? This story and all the other ones like it in the Bible. What are we supposed to take away from a story about demon possession? Well, you know, obviously, because we believe that the Bible is true, then then there, it must be true that there are spiritual enemies and forces that oppose God, and they are a real threat in the world. Now, that's the truth of the story, but I don't think that's the point of the story, because I don't think the story is actually about the demons. There's way too much other stuff going on for that. This is a story about faith. It's a story about dependence on God. It's about living out the mission and authority to which we have been called. This story isn't just a one-off historical account about a situation that we're, likely to, that we're unlikely to face. The story, what it's about, is a struggle we have every day. So let's start with a little bit of context. Um, the story started in kind of a weird way. It was like when they saw the disciples, but who's the they? Well, Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. Right? So he's up there, and they get a brief glimpse of his divine glory. Well, where are the other nine disciples? They're not on the mountain. They're, they're out there trying to do the disciple job, right? And specifically what happened was they were trying to cast a demon out of a possessed young man. And they had no success, which you have to ask, well, why not? At this point, you might be tempted to think that the problem here is that they aren't Jesus, right? That's something that just Jesus does. Or maybe, maybe that they were presuming to do Jesus' work without him. But the rest of the Gospel of Mark would not back that up. This is chapter 9, right? In chapter 3, when Jesus first anointed them to be his disciples, or appointed them to be his disciples, he gave them the authority to preach and to cast out demons. And then in chapter 6, he sent them out in pairs to go do this exact thing. And they came back to Jesus with success stories and all kinds of excitement. 
So the problem isn't that the disciples didn't have the authority to do this. The problem, according to Jesus, was a lack of faith. Or maybe it was a misplaced faith. Jesus ascends the mountain. He, he comes, he hears what everybody is saying, and he gets this sort of frustrated You can hear it in his words, right? He, he, he says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? You can hear the frustration in those words. Here was a father and a son who had endured terrible suffering for years. The mission was clear. The authority had been given. But Jesus didn't find them doing the work when he came down the mountain, what were they doing? They were arguing with the teachers of the law over their failure. They were pulled off mission trying to defend themselves against the critics and the skeptics. And this is especially frustrating because Jesus actually knows the answer to how long shall I stay with you? Spiritually forever, right? But, but in the flesh, not much longer. This was the work that they were chosen for. And pretty soon, they'd be the ones doing it full time when he was not physically with them. So why didn't the unclean spirit come out for them? God's will was clear. God wanted it to happen. The authority was there. What was the problem? Everything is possible for the one who believes, Jesus says. But then, toward the end, he goes on to explain, this kind can only come out by prayer. And I think that last part's pretty important for understanding the whole story. Belief and prayer go hand in hand. Uh, just, as a, just as an exercise, everybody humor me. Take one finger. Point at the part of yourself that makes the decisions. Uh-huh. The instinct was to go here, and then some of y'all thought better of it. We often think that our decisions are made with our minds, but that isn't really so. Like, clinical science has proven it's not really so. Our decisions aren't really made with our minds. Generally, they're made with our hearts. And then what your mind does is, after the fact, will justify why you made that decision. And that's why it's useful not only to examine your stated beliefs, but also to consider your actual choices. You may think that you believe something. You may tell yourself you believe something. But it's in our decisions that our faith is revealed. Faith in Christ is not the same as theological knowledge, right? I mean, you should grow in that, but that's not the same thing. Faith in Christ is relying on him. That's why the folks you see Jesus commend for their great faith in scripture, or the people, they, they, they're, they're the people who are the most desperate for him. 
that disconnect between what I think I believe and what my actions show land me squarely beside the Father in this story, who is speaking to Jesus, which is to say, praying, saying, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Maybe you've prayed that prayer. Maybe somebody today needs to pray that prayer. He'll answer it, you know. But the answer probably won't come in a private change in your feelings about God. Didn't work that way for the father in the story. It'll come just like it did for that father and son in seeing Jesus do incredible things in the midst of our weakness. When we look at the mission of God and then we look at ourselves, it's overwhelming. There's so much hurt. There are so many lost. There's too much do. And who are we to do it? I mean, sure, Jesus called us to this, but surely he doesn't expect us to actually fulfill the Great Commission. Like, what difference can, what do we have here today? 50-something people? Like, what, what difference would 50-something people make in a world of 8 billion? Probably not much, to be honest. But God can make a huge difference. As Jesus said elsewhere, he said, with man, this is impossible. But nothing is impossible with God. That's the importance of prayer. We have the call. God has the power. If we aren't in prayer, then we're expecting him to be on our mission. If we aren't in prayer, we will only attempt what we believe we can accomplish. But if we only do what is within our ability, then it'll be impossible to point at what God did. Um, there's a, there's a, a pastor of a mega church who wrote a book, and he, he talked about a sobering wake-up moment he had where he said, I came to the realization that my church could have thriving programs and continue to grow numerically even if the Holy Spirit left us. And, it, you know, that scared him, and it made him want to do things differently, right? I think that's a good lesson for all of us, right? Which is, if we think that we can only accomplish what we have the power to do, then where do we see God at work? God has called us to do the impossible so that when it happens, he gets the credit. We, we have to pray bigger prayers than our ability we can't only pray because he's called us to this mission. We have to pray and then move as if God heard our prayers because he did. We need God to supply the faith that we lack. We need the Holy Spirit to embolden us and encourage us to pray those prayers, take those steps, and to see God's hand actually doing what he promised to do. I can't wait to see how God answers the big prayers 
that we pray together. I can't wait to see and, and hear about opportunities he presents you to share good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then when you feeling quite stupid, open your mouth, and all of a sudden his words start falling out of that mouth, I want you to tell me about it, right, so we can celebrate it together. I can't wait to see how faith grows in each and every heart here at Mission Liberty Hill as we embrace his mission. That's the name we took, right? As we pray for his power, as we work out of the authority that he's given us, to proclaim the life-giving gospel in word and in deed throughout Liberty Hill and beyond. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you have united us with a very big God. And that's you know, sort of a childish way of saying it, but it's an easy-to-forget fact that God is able to do immeasurably more than we think or imagine. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that, that as you work inside our hearts through your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us to pray for things beyond our reach, that we would pray for what you desire, and that as you actually put us in the situation to be on that mission, that we would boldly step forward and do it, and that we'd recognize your hand in all of these things, that we'd say thank you as you guide us away from what you don't desire, and that we'd say thank you as you put a burden on us to do what you do desire. Lord, the, the mission is, is big, and the authority has been given to make disciples of all nations. And so, Lord, we, we simply pray that we would be humble enough to recognize our smallness, and to understand that that's not a barrier for you. Bless us as a church and bless us individually as we step out in faith. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.